This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationlim.org. I want to talk about probably a very simple subject today that I think the church sometimes overlooks. You know, sometimes we become so either theological that we forget how practical the Bible is and how practical God is, or we become so spiritual that we forget that it takes some very basic steps for us to become all God wants us to be. Uh, I, I titled this message, Acquiring a Taste for Change. Acquiring a Taste for Change. And uh, I'd like you to open your Bibles to the 34th Psalm and the 8th verse. The 34th Psalm and the 8th verse. Now, we have a guest with us, and I didn't know they were going to be here, but uh, from Dallas, Texas. And I, I believe, I don't think I've ever met them personally. This may be the first time I've ever met them. You were instructors of Christ for the Nations, is that correct? Yeah. So Dr. Jeffrey Seif is here, and uh, I knew of him, but uh, never had the opportunity to. I, I think I may have shaken your hand once, but... Uh, uh, very, very popular teacher of Christ for the Nations, and we're so blessed you're in Zimbabwe. So we want to give you a warm Zimbabwe welcome. God bless you. We're glad that you're here. Amen. Hallelujah. By the way, Christ for the Nations is where I went to Bible college. Uh, that was, you know, about the same time as the ark. Uh, Noah was there and a few others when I was there, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, needs to say that that was where I received much of my early training, and... Uh, we still recommend many of our students to attend Christ for the Nations. Uh, Psalm 34 and verse 8. Have you found it? The Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, and blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Everybody say, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Then turn to your neighbor and say, And blessed is the man that trusts in the prophets. Is that what it says? God, see, that's what worries me. You just say anything that I say. We got to say what the Bible says. Trust in the man. Uh, blessed is the man that trusts in him. In him. See, we have to return to these biblical truths, these biblical principles, because there's so much creeping into the body of Christ that's error that sometimes we just have to go back to some of these basics. You see, now, here's one of the things I understand, that most believers want to see first and then believe. But that's not what God, the Word of God teaches. The Bible says that we must taste and see. Taste and see. John 20 and verse 29 says this. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. There's a quality about tasting the things of the Lord before you see them. About, and and, and, and these, these ingredients have a biblical code to them. You know, blessing comes when we believe in him, even when we haven't seen him or seen him move. Trust in the Lord and will be blessed. We taste by faith. Then we see that the Lord is good. I often get a taste of things in the spirit. I get a sense of things. I, I tell my sons and I tell my daughter, I, in fact, I tell the staff, I say, you know, when, when, when we serve God, I always want to see the fingerprints of God on things. And what I mean by that is that I may not always see God, but I, 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 I get this taste, this sense, this idea that, you know, I think God's in this. God's involved. And, 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 and God wants to lead me into this. But it always requires faith. I, I never get to see what's going to happen before it happens. Taste is the equivalent of trusting. Having a trusting heart makes us vulnerable. Makes us vulnerable to God. It makes us willing to 
embrace change. But it's impossible to enjoy the blessings of God unless we do change. James 1.17 says, every good and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, no shadow, no turning. I think the version up there says, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like a shifting shadow. See, we have to understand something that God, first of all, is good. And everything he does in your life and my life is for our good. And he wants good for you. He wants good for you. God is good. Well, see, you guys are really well trained. That's not what I was looking for. <laughs> but God is good. Don't say all the time. Okay. And everything he does is good. All right. It worries me. It really worries me, guys. Because <laughs> we don't do that in this church. That means you're watching a lot of TV. Which is good. That's good. Get, get full of the word. I appreciate that, okay? <laughs> but here's the question I want to ask you. Do we believe that God is good? Do we believe that that statement is true? Do we really believe that it's true? Do we believe and do we trust God? Do we, do we really? Do we really trust him? Do we trust his word? Do we believe that everything that he allows in our life is good or for our good? Do we believe that he is trustworthy? Do we believe that all of his ways are good for us? Even when we don't understand them. Just tap your neighbor and say, you didn't say yes or no. I know that you don't know. Just, just tell him that. I know that, okay? Look, Matthew 9, 29 says this. According to your faith, let it be done unto you. I, I, I love that idea. You know, we, I grew up studying the subject of faith, faith became very much a bedrock for my life. Because of faith, I came to Africa. Because of faith, I was able to do the things that God's asked me to do. And I realized there's a quality of faith that relies on trusting that what God said is true, that trusting that the word of God is, is accurate, that it's real, and that you can go to the bank with what God says. Many people hedge their bets. Hey, I'm going to do what God wants, but I might do what something on the side with the witch doctor. Hello? All of our politicians do that. They run around with every prophet in town looking like they're Christians, but meanwhile we see them doing what? All their rituals with the witch doctors and trying to find the most powerful witch doctor so that they can be aligned spiritually. Is that correct? Folks, I want to encourage you as you go into these elections, that you do not be moved by the machinations of men, by what the spirit mediums are telling you, but that you begin to seek truth and ask your politicians, ask those that are in power what they intend to do in reality, not with just a bunch of fake promises that they've done for 37 years. Are we able to have them make commitments? I would ask them what their stand on God really is. Are you really a believer or do you just pretend to be? Who is Jesus Christ in your life? Now, we don't need to have Christian leaders to have good governance. But let me tell you something. Don't be a pretend Christian and tell me that you're a Christian when you're out there running around. I think we need to question those things. On the other hand, I do think that you need to ask for good governance. And I don't think you can leave that to a politician. I think you need to put pressure on and talk about that. Now, why am I saying that? Well, because I believe that in this season, we need to be very strategic. God has placed you, especially in this church, in positions of great authority, great responsibility, and your voice counts. Amen? So, if we have faith that God is trustworthy then we do not hesitate to embrace his commandments. Even when they require us to change. See, 
When God requires us to change, then and only then can we expect his goodness to manifest in our lives. See, everybody wants the blessing of God, but they don't want the change that God requires for us to be blessed. Most of the promises of God are conditional. If you do this, then I will do that. Unlike the prophets in the city that are preaching a message that says, come to me, come to my church, and I will bless you, or God will bless you for the price of some holy oil or holy water, or I'll rub your head till it shines, or whatever it is. I don't know what they do. But the bottom line is, that is false. That is divination. And I don't care if they can tell you your phone number. You already know your phone number. You don't need to have your phone number told to you. I always tell them, tell me something useful, like the lottery number. I would love that. But the bottom line is that we are not moved by those things, and God is not interested in a flagrant display of his power. He's interested in changing your life and my life that we become more like Christ. And he wants to manifest his goodness in our lives, but he doesn't just do it willy-nilly. He's actually working with us. In fact, faith requires works. James 2.26 says, faith without works or faith without corresponding actions is dead. James 2.18 says, but some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. See, James is correcting this. He says it's not just faith. He says it's corresponding actions that produce the blessing in your life. It's taking the word of God, acting upon it moving upon it, allowing God's word to work on the inside of you, becoming like Christ that brings the Christ-like blessings into your life. Faith and works don't operate independently from each other. They have to go hand in hand. They operate together. In the same way, if we don't trust God and will not change when he corrects us, then how are we going to be blessed? Now, I know God blesses us all the time. That's his nature. But I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. And I love blessing my children. And I love blessing my grandchildren. And I bless them all the time. But there are certain blessings, there are certain things that I will not do for them and, because they're conditional. My dad gave me a condition one time. My first car, he gave me my first car. I was 14 years old, 14 and a half years old, and he had a Barracuda. I love this car. And he told me, that's your car. On weekends, I couldn't drive, but on weekends, I'd go polish that thing. I'd shine it. I fixed it. I worked on it. I, I, that, that thing was ready to go whenever I got a driver's license. The earliest time you could get a training license, I got one. You know, a provisional license. I got it as early as you could possibly get it. When you turned 15, you could get it. I think the day after I turned 15, I had my driver's license. <laughs> then you had to wait a certain amount of time. And whatever that time period was, I did all the tests. I did everything. And I was ready to drive. And I was a crazy driver. And I have to tell you something. That car was way too much car for a teenager. And I tore it apart. I destroyed that vehicle. I ripped the differential out of it at least seven times. I mean, that thing, we raced it, we gunned it, we run, we, I ran that thing into the ground. But my dad said something to me. He said, I will never buy you another car as long as I live. <laughs> Why? Because I didn't have the faith, I didn't have the wherewithal to manage the vehicle he gave me. And he says, I'm not giving you another one. So the next car I bought, oh, oh did I ever take care of that car? And those payments, I'll never forget, $132.80. That was a lot of money back then. Those payments would come every month. I don't know how they kept coming every month. It seemed like the month... There's always more month at, at the end of the, uh, uh, than there was money at the end of the month, you know. The, the, the bills were terrible. 
God, God is kind of that same way. God doesn't really move too far from some of the natural feelings and things that we face as parents. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you things, but he wants to see that you have the character. He wants to see that you are the person you need to be in order to carry the blessing. So these things have to go hand in hand together. Amen. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand. Amen. So when we, when we sow seeds of trust towards God by being willing to taste and see that he's good, then we begin to receive the blessings that he promises. We taste by trusting God and we obey, and by obeying what he says. And then and only then will we begin to see that God is good. And we're blessed because we're trusting him. It's kind of a cyclical thing there. So let's just talk for a minute about change. Because I think that that's really the crux of what I'm trying to get us to look at today. You acquire a taste for the food, for, for different foods by eating it over and over again. You know, I remember the first time I tasted coffee. I didn't like it. But I soon acquired a taste for it. Now I can't do without it. I remember when my wife served me aubergines, eggplant. Mm. Mm. <laughs> now, I love eggplant. Why? Because your palate develops a taste for things that it gets used to, that it begins to eat. When I first came to this country, all of you lovely folks would take my wife and say, could you come for lunch after church? And every time we'd go to lunch, guess what you'd serve us? <laughs> well, that was the one, yes, said that. But on the other hand, there was always a leg of lamb. Somehow lamb was like the thing that everybody just loved to serve us. We hated lamb. We don't eat lamb. We never, Americans don't eat lamb. We never ate lamb. Oh, we're having leg of lamb. Oh, gee, that's so nice. <laughs> well, you, you shouldn't have. You shouldn't have done that. Oh, my gosh. Today, my favorite meat is lamb. I've developed a taste for it. Does that make sense? My wife always says this, Pastor Bonnie always says, sheep develop a taste for what they're fed. That's why there's so many weak sheep around, because they're still not getting fed very much. If you don't desire a, and hunger for the word of God, it's because you're not being taught the word of God. There's a lot of self-help gospel out there today that is basically the philosophies of men. Basically sounds good, feels good, makes you feel good, but doesn't strengthen you because it has no nourishment value. Only the word of God has nourishment value. Only the things of the spirit have nourishment value. Amen? It's the same way for us in spiritual realms. When we experience the truths of the spiritual realm. You know, when I first started with walk, walking with God and obeying his word, uh, you know, I remember even when I was at, Bi at Bible school, you know, I have to understand I was a Catholic. We didn't know much Bible. We, we had sermons, and, and, and I didn't even know they were from the Bible. They, 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 they'd read from all these funny books, you know, Ephesians. And I, well, I didn't know that was the Bible. I, we never had a Bible. I don't think we even had a Bible in our house. We had a prayer book. And then when I went to Bible college, I, I, I still had problems with some sins. I was still basically a sinner at heart. And God wanted to do some work on the inside of my life. And when he started dealing with me about obeying his word, man, I wasn't comfortable. In fact, it was very uncomfortable. His word didn't taste good to me, to be honest with you, because it exposed my sins. It exposed the lust of my flesh. It exposed the evil that was in my heart. 
Actually, I preferred the things of the world more than I preferred the things of God. I wanted to submit myself to selfish desires, things that would make me feel good in my flesh, instead of crucifying my flesh and obeying what God said. I'm just being honest with you. How many of you feel that way? Everybody raise your hand because that's the nature of the war that's going on between you. But I knew I had to change. I had to refuse to submit to my carnal desires, my carnal fleshly desires. And instead, I chose to obey the word of God. I I began to choose obedience to Christ. As I learned and I continued to obey God, I began to acquire a taste for change. I began to desire godly things instead of the things of this world. I began to desire the things of the spirit of God rather than the spirit of the age. Now, when I first started the Christian walk, I have to tell you something. In in the very beginning of my walk with Christ, I actually expected that I would have to live a miserable life serving God. I thought, man, this is going to be really hard. No more of that, no more of this, no more of the, oh my, I'm going to have to give up so much to be a Christian. Instead, as I kept tasting, obeying, trusting God, my desires have changed. I found out that as I desire the things of God, I have found great joy in obeying him. There's a joy in obeying God. There's something of a quality of life that comes from being obedient to what God has to say. And because I continue to taste, I know that the Lord is good. Don't resist the truth. Don't resist the truth. You know, many churches and, in fact, many believers have lost spiritual vibrancy. They've, they've lost life in themselves. Somewhere along the way, when God showed them a new truth or God convicted them of sin, they refused to embrace that conviction. They refused to embrace what God was doing. Churches do this. Believers do this. Families do this. And they wouldn't. What happens is when you do this, it means that you won't stop and taste and see that the Lord is good. When we're unwilling to change or when we're unwilling to move into a place of discomfort in our flesh, then we're really unable to move forward with God's spirit, the way he leads and directs. And what it it basically does is it leaves you in a position of rebellion. You become rebellious and you begin to die spiritually. There's a shriveling up of the inside of you. There's a a pulling away from spiritual truth. There's a, a drying up of spiritual hunger and spiritual things. And before long, there's just no desire. There's no hunger. There's no taste of God. There's no more taste and see that God is good. We have to move into a place where we are willing to be discomforted in our flesh if we want to move forward with God. Anytime that we refuse to receive truth from God and resist, we begin to resist his conviction, our spiritual man begins to suffer within. You know, there's, there's no way to become a mature man or woman of God without a constant process of changing. Now, my mentor, Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole, used to talk about change a lot. He says, change isn't change until it's change. And the fact of the matter is that it's easy to talk about change. It's easy to look like you're changing But to really change isn't change until you really changed. Just tap your neighbor, say, change isn't change until you change. 
2 Corinthians 5, 17, listen to what it says. You know this verse very well. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Old things are passed away. One verse says, old things are passing away. Behold, all things have become new. Colossians says, put off the old man, put on the new man with its sinful desires. That old man has sinful desires. You've got to put off the old man, put on the new. Now, Pastor Taz, I had a few of you men. I wanted you to come and help me. Could you, the three men that volunteered, just come up and help me real quick here? You see, a lot of us, when we talk about change, we don't really understand what that looks like. We don't know what it really means to change. But how many of you have ever had to change a baby's nappy, a baby diaper? Just raise your hand if you've ever changed a baby diaper. How many of you have never changed a baby's diaper? Oh, my goodness. I grew up, I was the oldest of eight children. By the time I was five years old, I could change a baby nappy. Let me tell you something. I can do it in my sleep even today. But, you know, a lot of people never knew how to change a baby nappy. They, did, they didn't know how to do it. And so I had one friend, and, 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 you know, he was left with the baby, their first baby. And the wife went out, and the baby did its number in the nappy. And it's like, wow, he didn't know what to do. So he went. I got another nappy, and he powdered the baby, and he put the nappy on the outside of it. He thought, okay, that's taking care of that. Before long, it started seeping through the other nappy, and so he went and got another nappy. And, 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 and when his wife came home, this baby had a rash, this baby, but it looked like, you know. How, how many of you know that covering something up isn't changed? A, a, a lot of us think that's, that's, that, 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 that's what change is like. And, and here's what kind of happens. Pastor, let me just borrow your jacket real quick. Who's, who's, who's bigger between you two of you? Let me have your jacket. I, you've been slimming down, man. I'll tell you. Here, just, just help me put that on real quick. Doesn't that look good? I think I'm looking good, man. Let me put that one on there. See, this is what some of us do when we think we're changing. I'm changing. I'm changing, brother. I'm changing. Brother, help me here. Come here. Oh, yeah. Man, I'm changing, bro. Hey, man. Hey, come on. You got to admit, I look good, don't I? Where's my daughter? Where's my wife? You want to go out to dinner with me, baby? That's what I thought. How about if I show up on ORU campus like this and, where's my daughter, Sarah? Oh, praise God. She'll deny I exist. <laughs> what if I came to church and decided I stood up in the pulpit and they said, what's wrong with our pastor? <laughs> and yet, this is what some of you look like. Come on. You say, oh, I'm changing. No, you're covering up what God's trying to change. Anybody seeing what I'm talking about? Ooh, that's warm, baby. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. My wife didn't come back. If we're in Christ, the Bible says old things are passing away, all things are becoming new. Now, you cannot be in Christ without being in a state of change. Old things passing away, 
all things becoming new. Changes are the evidences that you're maturing as a believer. If I don't see you changing, if you don't see yourself changing, you're not growing up. You're not maturing. And I don't care how much you tell me you're changing, you're not. I always ask people, do you see any changes in me since the last time I preached? Or, you know, as your pastor, if, I, if you can't see changes in your pastor each year, that I'm maturing, that I'm growing, that I'm developing, I would say find another church. Because the fact of the matter is, how can I lead you unless I'm becoming more like Christ myself? Are you following me? Amen. So, the Bible describes change another way as well. As coming to maturity. Now, how many of you know maturity doesn't come with age? Maturity comes with the acceptance of responsibility. Hmm? I had an elder in my church one time, and uh, he'd been, every time we'd have an elders meeting, he'd, he'd tell us that he'd been 40 years in the ministry, 40 years in the ministry, 40 years in the ministry. And, 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 but every time he'd say he'd been 40 years in the ministry, it was, had the caveat of you can't do what you want to do because his 40 years in the, in the ministry was negating everything that we felt like we needed to do. And I've prayed about this. I kept praying. I said, God, this, what is this? And eventually the Holy Spirit said something to me. He said, he doesn't have 40 years. He says he has 40 years in the ministry, but he has, he says he has one year of experience and he did 39 years of the same thing after that. Ooh, I mean, it's, it so struck my spirit. I thought, oh my God, that's it. We got stuck in a rut. Now, whether that's true or not, that's how God vividly made it for me. But for me, I thought, I don't want to be that person that, after 40 years of ministry, which, by the way, is next year in this church, people say, yeah, he did the same thing for 39 years. Are you following what I'm saying? No. Maturity comes with accepting responsibility, developing ourselves or being developed into the mature stature of Jesus Christ. We do this only when we embrace the changes that God wants in our lives. So let's just talk a little bit about these two natures. The sinful or the fleshly nature versus the nature of Christ. This Christ being formed in us. Whichever one we feed grows stronger. There's an old Chinese saying that says the dog you feed is the one that grows. Basically the picture is this. You have an evil dog on the inside of you and you have a good dog on the inside of you. The Chinese don't make a distinction. We know that we have a spiritual man and we have a natural man. Whichever dog you feed is the one that's going to dominate. It's the one that gets stronger. If we are constantly confessing that we don't want to change, or if we're finding it hard to change, it's obviously that we're pandering to the flesh. How many of you find, oh, I just hate to change. Oh, it's so hard to be a Christian. Oh, it's so hard to do all these Christian things. That's your flesh dominating you. But if we embrace change, if we find, now this is going to sound strange to some of you, but if you find joy in being convicted of sin, it's a pretty good indicator that you're abiding in Christ. You know, when, when, when I get convicted of sin, I know it grieves God. I'm saying, oh, why did I do that? Have you, have you ever had that happen where you've said something and right there you just know, oh. I wish I'd never said that. Sometimes you can catch it and even say, hey, I didn't mean that. Would you, hey, would you forgive me? I, I was really wrong saying that. Have you ever been doing something and all of a sudden you realize, this is not good. And you just stop right there and say, God, I'm so sorry. I, I, this is not what I should be spending my time on, expending myself on. Have you ever been checked like that? How many of you get upset when you get checked like that? Oh, God. I, I, how many of you get upset at God? Oh, God, I, I can do what I want to do. That's what the world says. Just do as you please. Do whatever you feel. If it feels good, do it. But we know, no, we have to follow the promptings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit. You see, I want to find joy in embracing God. 
I want to find joy when I get convicted of sin. God loves us so much that he always brings truth that requires us to deny our carnal flesh, our carnal nature, and be changed into the image of Christ. The truth is what sets us free from the lies that Satan has used to hold us captive. Romans 6.16 says it this way. It says, do you know or don't you know that when you, were, when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Whom you yield your members to obey, you become the slave of. That's why it's so important that you understand there's two natures. There's two things warring on the inside of you. One wants to lead you into sinfulness, into fleshliness, into carnality. The other wants to lead you into righteousness, into peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, the power of God, the blessings of God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But if we're resisting the word of God, and if, then, then you have to understand that we're in rebellion to God's corrections. And we're yielding our members to our flesh. So if this describes the way that you are living today, what, do you, what can we do about it? We need to repent. We need to stop and say, God, forgive me. We need to be like Joshua. Joshua, Joshua said, as for me and for my house, I choose today to serve the Lord. You see, there's no way for us to move from where we are to where God wants us to be without change. Somewhere change has to take place. But who initiates the change? Well, God will convict you, but you must initiate the change. You must make some decisions. It's you that puts off the old man. It's you that puts on the new man. It's you that's responsible, not a prophet, not a man of God. You must take the word of God, apply it to your life. You must take what the Spirit is saying and make application to your life. It's you and I that choose where and when and how we yield our members, either to God so that he can change us into the image of his dear son or to the flesh. And then we become like this world. We become like the God of this world. So we can choose to change. We have to make the choices. So if we're going to change, it's a matter of choosing to identify with our spiritual man and denying and crucifying our flesh. That's the choice we have to make. We have to learn to yield ourselves to his wishes, what he wants, so he can use us the way he wants to. When we do this, we become more like Jesus Christ. We become more like the God we serve. And we move further away from the kingdom of darkness. If we resist change, it's really an indicator that we prefer living in the flesh. And this gives our enemy access into our lives. Many Christians suffer today not because of anything less than the fact that they've opened the door to the enemy by continuing to live in the flesh. I'm sorry. We, we, we have to get over this. We cannot mature spiritually or become more Christ-like if we believe that the lie that the enemy tells us that change is a negative thing. Many of us just resist change so much. I just don't want to change. I am the way I am. You just have to, this is who I am. I can't tell you how many times I meet brothers and sisters and they have bad attitudes, they have bad things going on in their lives. Well, that's just how I am. <laughs> Marriages. If she don't like it, what? It's just how I am. How many of you ladies have said that to your husbands? I be who I be. I am who I am. I've told my wife a few times, I said, hey, if God can't change me, I don't know how you think you can. <laughs> but the truth is, my resistance to change is something that's been a battle in my life for a long time, is that I don't change easily. You have to want to change. <sighs> God's faithful. 
I want you to know God will continue to convict you of your sin. He'll do it repeatedly until we allow his word and his will in our lives. Most believers don't change for a simple reason. One reason and only one reason. What do you think it is? They don't want to change. They just don't want to change. Change agents. What are some of the change agents? Here's how you know if you're changing. Reading the Bible. Reading God's word. If you're not reading the Bible, it's because you don't want to be convicted of sin. Many people don't read the Bible just because it's too convicting. So that It's not because I don't have time. You have time to be on Facebook for two hours. You have time to play, what is it? Candy Crush. Yeah, you have time to play Candy Crush for four hours. But we don't have time to read our Bible for 30 minutes. We don't have time to study the Bible. We don't have time to do something spiritual. Why? It's not because we don't have time. It's because we don't want the convicting power that comes with the word of God. The call to change. People don't like to pray either or seek God's direction for their lives. Why? If we're not praying and asking for his direction, it's because we don't want it. I don't want God's direction. I like what I'm doing. Sometimes we don't like teaching and preaching. Hey, or we only want the teaching and preaching that says what I want to hear. See, when teaching and preaching is done correctly, it always brings us to a point of change. A point of repentance. A point of moving from who we are to who we're to be in Christ. So, for many people, it's just easier to visit church once in a while. Yeah, I go to that church over there. That big church over on the, yeah, yeah. I go, that's where I go, yeah. I can't tell you how many people that I meet that come to my church, to come to this church, but I never see them in church. Anybody know what I'm talking about? See, many of us avoid a relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We want a transaction with him. And we have enough prophets and preachers and teachers today that will afford you a transaction without a relationship. That will afford you, hey, listen, come and get what God has for you. Get blessed. God wants to bless you. God's the heavenly butler. God wants to just pour out blessings. Every corner is a blessing. It's a miracle a minute. Guys, let me tell you something. Miracles and all that stuff was for the wilderness. The promised land, he says, hey, we're going to have to learn some things. You're going to have to toil. You've got to plow the land. You're going to get a seed and a harvest. It's about growing. It's about maturing. It's about taking ownership. It's about taking dominion. It's about being and owning and, and, and becoming something, a nation. So let's not stay in childhood. When we make excuses for our behavior, and we do that all the time, but the root of our motivation is our desire not to change. It's an indication that we have a hard or a rebellious heart. And God wants to soften us. God wants to deal with us. So he uses something called conviction. We don't talk much about conviction anymore in church because we're so busy being blessed. But conviction is a blessing from God. Conviction is a blessing from God, okay? It's one of his blessings. Now, I, don't, I realize that many people don't see it that way. In fact, most Christians have kind of, they, they kind of endure conviction. And, and, and somehow, they, it's, like, it's kind of like enduring a sore tooth. You know, okay, if I can just get through this, maybe it'll get better. All right, yeah, I, yeah, okay, okay. Let me get out of church today and I'll be just fine. And somehow, they, somehow we have this idea that if we have this kind of endurance, it's like we're really spiritually minded. Yeah, I got through that one, man. Oh, yeah, I felt real bad in church, but shoot, I got over it. Anybody get over your conviction by the time you get to the parking lot? See, if we're not willing to embrace the truth... If we're not willing to let it change us, it's really of no value to us. The Bible describes this as being hearers of the word and not doers of the word. He says, and in so doing, we deceive ourselves. When we listen to the truth without really receiving it, we're just really rebellious or prideful. But a, but a believer who's humble 
a believer who's got an open spirit and is willing to embrace conviction, to really seek change. God has provided us with the blessings of conviction for that reason. And forgiveness. Sometimes the conviction comes with a need to forgive others and to receive his forgiveness for the things that are involved in our lives. And that's how we grow up spiritually. Conviction is part of, it's a vital part of the maturing process. Without it, you can't grow. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. That word worldly sorrow and godly sorrow are, 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 are very powerful terms. Godly sorrow is something that breaks you, that humbles you. Worldly sorrow means, hey, I got caught, man. <laughs> I feel bad that I got caught, but hey, you know, what do I have to do to get out of here so I can do it again? See, when we repent, God forgives us. And he removes the sin from our lives. Just like that. God, I repent. And he says, I'll remove that sin from you. And then God's peace and his joy begin to return. And the conviction is removed. Once you repent, there's nothing like it. It's like, oh, God, thank you. And that joy and that peace return. And then we can begin to walk again in the knowledge of God and the grace of God and, and, and grow again. In other words, you change. You change. We become more like Christ as more of this sin, as more of the flesh is eliminated from our lives. Each step is a progressive change that leads to a step closer to becoming more Christ-like. It's a positive process. The more consistent, the more quickly we go through this process of change, the faster we grow. It's a cyclical thing. That's why we have cells in this church. I don't think you can grow just on Sunday meetings. I, I think you can get truth here. I think this is a great place to come. I believe in the corporate worship place. Pastor Taz said when we gather corporately, something happens. Healing takes place. Well, healing takes place wherever two or three gather in his name. But Corporately, there's something about the atmosphere that changes. God wants us to come together corporately. His presence is different corporately than it is in your prayer closet. He lives in you. He abides in you. That doesn't change, but there is a corporate presence of God. I don't think you can deal with yourself honestly. I can't. I have to be subject to other people that ask me the hard questions. That's why cell groups are important. That's why we have Be That Man. How many of you men, how many of you women are saying, man, my husband is changing because of be that man? Oh, one of you. Thank you. God bless you. <laughs> uh, that's a bad advert. <laughs> but the fact is our men are changing. Our men are dealing with real issues. Majoring in men. Our men are becoming the kind of men that they need to be. Some of you ladies, I'm looking forward to seeing the fruit of Roots. Because in Roots, you're going to find out that the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to have to confront some of the things in your lives to be a better wife, to be a better mother, to be a better person, to be all Christ wants you to be, to become like Christ. Let me just give a quick side note, and then I'm going to close. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, the Bible says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed to and fro by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. As each part does its work. God gave fivefold ministry gifts to the church to help it grow. Verse 12 says that their job is to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. The work of the fivefold ministry is intended to prepare each and every member of the body of Christ to come into the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God. 
The ultimate goal is that each of God's children, each one of us, each one of you, will grow up into the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ himself. So we have to allow the proper function of the fivefold ministry gifts in the church. And I know that it's crazy in this country and around the world right now. Everybody's an apostle. Everybody's an apostle. Everybody's an apostle. Everybody's an apostle. <laughs> or a prophet. In Zimbabwe, there's kids that are 22 years old, apostle so-and-so. I said, well, how did you become an apostle? <laughs> Who ordained you? Who recognizes you? How did you become a prophet? See, the, the, the prophets and the apostles and the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists are given as gifts to the body of Christ, to the church, to equip the saints that you can do the work of the ministry. It's not me that does the work of the ministry. I equip you to do the work of the ministry. I can do the work of the ministry because I'm a sheep like you. Amen? But this word in Ephesians 4.12, that word perfecting means the complete furnishing. The complete furnishing of someone. If we've, I think if we even have just a reasonable amount of intelligence, we have to agree that the church isn't completely furnished yet. Would you agree with me? That the church in general is not completely furnished? So if God's children have not matured to the fullness or the measure of the stature of Christ, it means that the fivefold ministry has not yet completed their work. It's time that we allow the fivefold ministry in our lives. That's why it's so important that you respect and honor the pastors that are serving you and working in the word of God with you and helping you and helping you mature. I think of Pastor Taz and I think of our pastoral team and the hours they spend walking with you, working with you, equipping you, helping you become the ministers you're supposed to be. But let's respect that. Let's see what God's doing. And thank God in this church we have apostolic ministry. We have prophetic ministry. It's governed and it's governing in a proper fashion. The Bible says that on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, he would build his church. Christ being the chief cornerstone. We're being built up on apostolic and prophetic teaching. Not only from the Bible, not only from those days, but an apostolic sense of what God wants to do in our nation. I think it's important that we follow this, that we understand it. It's obvious that the lack of proper foundations that caused much of the immaturity has, has caused a lot of immaturity in the church. You can see the immaturity in our leadership in the church worldwide because there's very little foundation. I'm concerned that we have people telling stories that aren't teaching the Bible anymore. They're good storytellers. But there's no Bible. And they're getting huge crowds. I'm saying, yes, but biblically, we're not where we're supposed to be. We're not laying foundations in the Word of God. We're not equipping the saints. We're entertaining the saints. Folks, we have to be careful here. So here's my question today. Amen. Here's my question today. Are you resisting change? Ask your neighbor. Say, are you resisting change? As we close, let's take a few minutes to just examine a few reasons why we don't embrace conviction and why we have not grown maybe spiritually like we should have. See, God's always trying to be about change in our lives. But we have to understand it's always for our good. Change is always for our good. Here's the truth. You only feel pressure in your spirit if you're resisting change. Think about that. By the way... If you're here today and you're unaware that you're resisting God and yet you still feel pressure and anxiety on the inside of you, that simply means that you're avoiding conviction, whether you realize it or not. You see, if you feel pressure in your spirit, 
If you're anxious about the truth of God, what's being presented to you, what God's showing you, the approach that we have to take as believers is we simply humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And we say, and here's a little prayer that I've learned. When I feel that pressure, I say, God, it seems like you're trying to change me. If I'm resisting your truth, God, would you forgive me? I repent and I accept the change that you're trying to bring in my life. See, I think we unlock things with our words by acknowledging the fact that I'm resisting. God, would you help me on this? Would you? I, man, I repent. I, I, I don't want this, but I see there's a war going on on the inside of me. But I'm making a choice. I'm verbalizing it. I want to taste and I want to see that the Lord is good. It's amazing how quickly when you begin to align yourself, pressure disappears. When you embrace what God's doing in your life, pressure disappears. It's important to realize that the Holy Spirit and His power is abiding on the inside of you to lead you, to guide you. He lives in your heart. He loves us to obey. And, and, and the Holy Spirit that lives in your heart, He loves to obey the Father. That's His desire. He obeys. He, he, he obeys the Father. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father do. He did that by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, His voice and His, his promptings on the inside of you will always motivate you to do what God wants. I'm going to ask you to do something today. I'm going to ask you to ask God to give you an adventuresome, an adventurous spirit, an adventurous heart. Some of you have been so bottled up, you're afraid of everything. You're afraid to trust, you're afraid to trust anybody, and especially God. We need to develop an attitude of joy as we embrace the unknown. Instead of being afraid all the time of what might happen or fearful of what God might require of us. Remember, God loves us. He wants the best for us always. The changes He brings for our lives are for good. And I just heard the Holy Spirit say something to me. There are people here today and you have a real problem. Some of you have a real problem addressing the Father. You just can't get a grasp of Father. Father just is like, see, God wants to heal that. He wants you to know him as a loving, godly, heavenly father. I went through a season where, man, I just couldn't get with Jesus. I, I, I had no problem with the father, but Jesus, I promise you, I struggled with this guy, Jesus. And I didn't know how to relate to Jesus. I didn't know how to relate to a righteous, holy man without sin. I felt like I could never be like Jesus. I felt like Jesus, you know. I always felt guilty around him. Every time I'm around him, I said, man, I, I'm such a sinner. I don't, I don't know if I, I, am I treading the blood of Jesus underfoot every time I, I, I had this terrible relationship with Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit, you know, I was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues. And, and then again, I could see my own wickedness, my own heart, and I'm thinking, oh, did I grieve the Holy Spirit? Have I failed of the grace of God or fallen from the grace of God or frustrated the grace of God, the frustrated the move of the Spirit in my life? And I, I struggled with those two persons, but I thank God that I had a real revelation of Father. And Father would lead me back into meeting Jesus, getting to know the Spirit. Guys, you have to have a relationship with God. It's not a transaction. He wants to relate to you. He loves you. But fear is what causes us to resist changes that God is bringing to our lives. Fear of man, fear of the unknown. Fear from our enemy, Satan, always hinders us spiritually. He keeps us from walking in faith. Fear will keep you from walking in faith. First Timothy, Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, of strength, and of a sound mind. That word fear, by the way, is defined as timidity, being timid. John 4, 18 says, perfect love drives out fear, casts out fear. Walking in faith requires us to be bold, courageous, 
Don't let the enemy keep telling his lies to you. Don't let him tell you that God doesn't want to bless you. Don't let him keep you from the blessings that God has for you. Satan uses many things in addition to fear to keep us from walking into the unknown realm of faith. Think about them. Complacency. Have you become complacent? The love for worldly things. The desire for riches. The deceitfulness of riches. Spiritual laziness, just being pure lazy. Selfishness in all of its forms. And most of all, the desire for personal comfort. Personal comfort. Think about these things. I'd like our pastors to come. We're going to minister this this morning. We're going to close the service. As the pastors are coming, as the pastors are coming, I want you to understand that God is preparing blessing for you, even in the presence of your enemy. Daniel, just minister to us in song a little bit while we... Just prepare for this moment of ministry. The Lord, Lord, yeah. oh. You prepare a table for me, Lord. In the presence of my enemy. Prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You restore my soul, you comfort me, you lead me beside quiet streams. For the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything. You prepare a table for me In the presence of my enemies You anoint my head with oil My cup overflows Even though I walk through the valley Of the shadows of acceptable in our past is no longer acceptable when God decides that it's time to make changes. When God decides it's time to change in our spiritual walk, he begins to remove the peace from us, from our spirit. And he begins to speak to us and convict us of new truths. When he speaks new truths, it's time to change. It's time to move into the deeper realms of the spirit that he's moving us into. Don't resist the changes that he's bringing. Embrace them. Expect God to do mighty things in your life. If any of us or any of the, if any of the attributes that we've spoken about, complacency, if any of those things are in our lives, the love of money, the lust for other things, selfishness, fear, 
Just remember, Satan's trying to do all he can to keep you from embracing the changes that'll lead you into peace and joy and fulfillment and maturity. Don't be afraid of spiritual discomfort. When you feel uncomfortable, embrace it. No matter how those discomforts present themselves, God's working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's working in us. God needs it. He desperately wants us to be a mature church. Let's all stand. If this is ministered to you and you feel like, you know what? I don't want to leave today with a pit in my stomach or I feel convicted or I know God's dealing with me. Don't leave. Embrace it. Embrace the cross. Embrace the altar. Some of you need to come and just kneel at the altar. Others of you need to come and speak to a pastor. Others of you just need to stand there and say, God, let me pray that prayer that pastor talked about. God, I think I've hurt you. I think I've grieved you. I think that I've made a mistake here. I've resisted you. I don't want to do that anymore. Would you help me today? Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.